Sponsored by the 200 Brass and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is formerly a contributor to SB Nation, Mariners blog, Lookout Landing, and also Baseball Perspective. She currently serves as the managing editor of the Hardball Times. It's Meg Rowley. Meg Rowley is the guest on this edition of the program. Meg Rowley declares that she likes this baseball. She likes it. Specifically, what Rowley likes is how the NL playoff race is unfolded this September. We dedicate no little time to that matter, that topic. Uh, as part of that conversation, we addressed the Colorado Rockies. The Rockies, of course, remain in postseason contention, despite some obvious weaknesses. Indeed, it isn't so much that the Rockies have an Achilles heel as it is that they are composed entirely of Achilles heel, that they're only uh, a game and a half out of first place as I speak. Also discussed on this edition of the program, uh, the point at which the presence of a position player on the mound transforms from delightful interlude uh, transforms from that to threat to the very fabric of the game. That part of the conversation involves Carlos Gomez at the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, also, uh, in this episode, I, I ask Rowley how she feels about those people who have aided and abetted uh, the dissemination of Fangraphs Audio to the public. Here's her response. I mean, I think that they will end up being punished for it. Surely it will come back to haunt them in some sort of appreciable and perhaps devastating way. Hurtful Rally. Deeply hurtful. More from uh, Meg Rowley in a moment, but first, it is both my pleasure and also my professional obligation to announce that Fangraphs memberships exist. For a reasonable sum, readers of Fangraphs.com can support the great work that appears in those electronic pages. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, not unreasonable, but slightly less reasonable, those same readers, or different readers, should they choose, can acquire what is known as an ad-free membership, which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the tyranny and the distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership available only at Fangraphs.com by going to the URL Fangraphs.com and clicking until uh, you find the membership page. With that advertisement now complete, we can move on to our conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs. Who does it feature? Managing editor of the Horrible Times, Meg Rowley. And when does it begin? right now. Then it's okay. That's generally acceptable. Yeah, I think it's actually preferable. Yeah, well, not... (laughs) Let's see. (laughs) I don't... uh, Does one want to be... Does one want to receive all compliments behind the back? Yeah. There is something I, I enjoy telling on. For example, recently my wife said something nice about my neighbor. Uh-huh. Without my na- without my neighbor was not present, though. Yeah. And I enjoyed I enjoyed tattling on my wife. But it's like a, it's like a, um, everyone wins. Yeah. I say, oh, my wife was talking, was saying nice things about you behind your back. Everyone wins. Yeah. Because they feel good. Because uh, mm-hmm. I think they believe the remark to be more sincere right precisely yeah and uh and and you're a nice guy for being like hey i'd like Mm -hmm. to improve your day like my mom uh i made a uh my wife it was my wife's birthday recently and i made as i do every year or have for like the last five six years i made her a trace leches cake are you familiar with that oh yes yeah it's got three milks in it okay actually it's four milks Uh, (laughs) very many milks yeah it's got more milks than one than one typically needs. <laughs> typically has. Yeah. And uh, my mom 
and I think it's pretty good. I don't think you have. I I think there's like a wide. I think you can really screw up. Yeah. And still produce a pretty decent uh, tres leches cake. Yeah. So it's a free. It's forgiving. Yes. Wide margin for error. Anyway, my mom tried it, and I think her response would have been, "I think they actually taste." It tastes great. Again, it, it's doing a lot of the work. And uh, but my mom was like, oh, this is good. This is, and it didn't sound sincere. Yeah. Did she say yeah. it in that voice? Well, I'm. I mean, not your exact voice, bit. clearly. But... Yeah, she's actually, she spoke exactly in my voice. It was weird as a <laughs> this strange ventriloquist. Oh, no. That would be very disconcerting, I would think. Yeah. So you're like, oh, all right, mom. You could just tell me if you think this cake is horseshit. Oh, no, I swore and I didn't give Dylan a verbal cue. Oh, boy. Oh, no. No, he'll actually have to listen to me talk. Well, frequently what I'll do is I'll go ahead and write down the timestamp. Oh, well, that's a way more precise way of doing it than me just hollering at him. Oh, boy. I'm sure the cake you made was delicious. What a nice thing to do for your wife's birthday. Yeah, I don't do much more, though. Well, that's still a nice thing. That's a pretty good only thing to do. In what are you? Uh, what are your expectations of? Uh, I don't know. Various levels of people with various levels of uh, of access to Meg Rally. <laughs> various <laughs> levels of indebtedness to you. Oh. What are your What are your demands in terms of a birthday, for example? Um, they're not. They're not too. They're not too extreme. I don't think. I've never been a huge birthday person. I like it as an excuse to to get folks together who maybe know them know each other sort of tangentially through knowing me but don't know one another all that well uh, so i like it as an excuse to get people together to like sit on a patio and uh drink drinks and have some snacks my birthday is in late june so the weather normally accommodates that but you know i i don't know when you when you get into your 30s it's like oh well i'm still alive which is great and the mm-hmm. metabolism hasn't completely abandoned me so that's mm-hmm. worth celebrating and probably indulging a bit too much uh, but it took me until like uh, late August to tell my parents, for example, what I even wanted in terms of a present. So wait, sorry, late August. That's after your birthday. Yeah, I was very indecisive. My dad and stepmom got for me a um, Wade LeBlanc Players Weekend jersey because I was like, I like this thing. It was an odd gift selection because I was sort of anticipating mm-hmm. my own nostalgia. You know, I'm like, in five years, I'm going to be really happy I have this weird, ugly thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to wear it and feel like I remember stuff about baseball. Like that strange time when being a Mariners fan meant you were deeply invested in Wade LeBlanc. But I didn't want to spend $100 on it because that seems silly. So they got me that. And then uh, my my mom and and her wife, Linda, got me a new uh, speaker and turntable setup which is lovely, and I use it every day. Is that so you can, you can continue your your alternate career as a famous DJ? As a famous DJ, yes. I This is going to sound um, very twee, and I just am going to acknowledge who I am and be fine with it. But Wait, should we, uh, should we put on some Belle and Sebastian in the background? <laughs> Dylan, please. Hey, can you <laughs> I would like you to play the December song where they literally have a tap solo in the background real thing no i i enjoy listening to vinyl while i'm working because it you know forces me to get up every 30 minutes Mm -hmm. turn it over and then i walk around and get more water and you know move as a human person rather than sitting for the entire day at my desk so uh but my my setup was not very nice and now it is much better also a good argument for um owning a dog 
because you're required to. I know, but I'm not allowed a dog by my no, landlord. No, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm saying I you have one. found. You you you. You found a, a way spot and you didn't to, re- to, to replace <laughs> to replace the love of another mammal uh, with yeah. a with, with a um, with the Decembers. <laughs> with the Decembers, yeah. See, I thought uh, speaking of uh, sitting down, standing up, I used to think that varicose veins. I'm probably not unique in this. I thought I thought that varicose veins uh, were actually known as very close veins. <laughs> My mom would be like, she worked at uh, Thirty Pines in. Pentecook, New Hampshire. What is that? Do. Dirty Pines. It may not exist anymore, uh, but it was a uh, combination car wash. Oh. Uh, car. I was going to say car wash gift shop. That's not what it was. <laughs> no. It was a car wash convenience store. Ah, got it. She worked in the convenience store part, and she stood all day, and she said, if I keep standing like this, I'm going to get... I thought she said she's going to get very close veins. <laughs> and then I started wondering, how close are my veins to each other? Some of them look very close. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah, probably. Have you ever, you know, you ever seen the schematic of the, um, you know, of a human without skin or whatever? Yeah. Or have you ever just seen, you know, whatever, through your own leisure activities, just a human without skin? I have not. The, the, the former and not the latter, thankfully. Okay, Yeah. <laughs> uh, his most recent appearance in Fangraphs Audio, Eric Longenhagen uh, dedicated... At least, I mean, no small part to the beginning of their program by saying, it puts the lotion in the basket. Um, <laughs> speaking of seeing people without their skin. <laughs> it's such a good movie, though. It's the it time is of, quite good, yeah. It's the time of year for it also. You know, there are certain movies that feel more seasonally appropriate to fall when things are sort of cold and spooky. And yeah. Silence of the Lambs definitely falls into that category. Spooky, yeah. Spooky. Yeah. Uh, Meg Rally. Yeah. Apropos of a point you just made regarding Wade LeBlanc and LeBlanc um, and uh, sorry Wade LeBlanc and uh, your own well you, you know your own limitations as a human what um, <laughs> what would what would it say on the back of uh, of Meg Rally's Players Weekend jersey Oh gosh I mean it would probably say Rowley or growl <laughs> or Growler yeah which is you know, its own thing. If mm-hmm. if one were addressing them to limitations of mine, it might say just as a mocking reminder, like hyphen, because I still can't get them right. They're better lately, though. Haven't you noticed? Yeah, <laughs> sure. My, oh, actually, in my copy. Speaking of, uh, we can return to players weekend momentarily. As I feel yeah. like there might be something to mine there. Uh, mm. Speaking of of edits, speaking of clandestine edits, of course I make. Uh, oh. I made that. Wait, what are you? What are you laughing about? I don't know. I made a clandestine edit today. <laughs> you did, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you did on Cheryl Ring's post. I did. Because I, uh, well, I did not. Cheryl Ring, blame her. Uh, she spelled Rachel McDaniel's name wrong. I well, no we can of. we can really blame Joe Sheehan. Sorry, Joe, because he sure. spelled Rachel's name wrong. And sometimes, you know, suggestion is very powerful. Yep. So, uh, mm-hmm. but it's been fixed. No harm done. No, but in your piece of September 7th, an incomplete study of pitchers and blowout games, mm-hmm. in the very first sentence, uh, you write, on Tuesday, the Brewers beat the Cubs 11-1. to What I did, it was, it was something I typically do when I see a score reported in anything, I put after the score, I write in parentheses, open parentheses, I write the word box, and then I write close parentheses as if to suggest that this is a link to a box score. Oh. 
No, I uh, fixed that. <laughs> yeah, what you did was you yeah you you deleted that. You just uh, I'm sorry. It. I thought that hyperlinked what, the score. Yeah, I thought that what you were doing was putting a note there to remind yourself to link it, and then had maybe forgotten because I made you edit two twenty three hundred words early in the day. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't realize that was intentional. I apologize. No, it was, it was intentional, but I also am not. Uh, You're not, not fussy. About it. Yeah. I also have just only noticed it now. And this was a week ago. Oh yeah. Well. So uh, sometimes you know it's it's easier to excuse our. Uh, there are many things in the past which, uh, if we had encountered them at the time, we would have got upset. Yeah. But then you say, "Well, that's in the past, and uh, what are the matter. consequences? Nothing." Don't matter. Yeah. The Cubs. That's what they are. The Cubs are probably going to win that division, right? Maybe. Brewers are going to make it hard. I like it when teams make it hard for other teams this time of year. Yeah. It's good. Right. Mariners aren't doing that, but that's normal. We're used to that sort of business. Mm -hmm. I would like it just because it would be fun if these these A's were to, to be able to host a wild card game. I still find it unlikely. But it's not crazy. So, I don't know, man. Playoff baseball is so soon. And September baseball has been so great. You think so? I think so. I think there's been a lot of really good baseball in the last, I don't know, four weeks. I've been pretty pleased with it. I've been enjoying... I've been noting that my own enjoyment of watching it has been has been greater on sort of a per inning basis than I think than I think it was the the month prior to that. So that's been kind of that's been a fun thing to just keep track of. It's like, oh, I'm really liking this thing, which is good because I have to spend a lot of time with it. So it'd be a bummer if I was like, oh, this suddenly sucks. Hate it a lot. When you are watching uh, or attempting to watch baseball games at this time of year, would you say that you chase uh, what might be called championship leverage? I think I do. I don't make use of the... Well, I do make use of the, the nifty little tool they made. What's Scientists the, and doctors? Yeah. They? No, yeah, they... Um, the thing that switches for you automatically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. at the baseball gauge. Game yes, changer. thank you. Good grief. Yeah. I appreciate you helping me out. That was going to bother me. Um, I take I make use of that when I'm watching games on my computer. Obviously, can't quite do it on uh, my TV. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we've had we've had a lot of we've had a lot of good stuff. There's been good series um, of late that that matter a lot. That NL West is crazy, and there are so many uh, games amongst all of them that will matter so much. So it's been it's been easy to find meaningful baseball, which isn't always true this time of year. I mean, obviously a lot of teams are, the majority of teams are well out of it. And I don't really, I don't enjoy spoiler baseball very much. Which is to say? Well, you know, when a team has the potential, they're well out of playoff contention, but they can be, they can play spoiler for a team that is in playoff contention. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy it. Like, because... I, I don't root for spoiling in that way. I would rather a team in contention sort of take care of business against another team in contention than some some little loser <laughs> coming along. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, you know, it's better to it's better to fight your own battles, in my opinion. So, uh, so you right? That's yeah. what you were going to. Be. Uh, today we find, uh, for example, using championship leverage index brought to us by thebaseballgauge.com. Uh, we find, uh, for example, Arizona and Colorado are playing each other in Colorado. Correct. I'm a, I'm of the opinion, uh, looking inside myself, I'm of the opinion <laughs> that uh, it is surprising that the Rockies are in first place in the National League West. 
It is terrifically surprising. I don't quite understand that team. I have a metaphor for them if you'd like. Please. See if you can catch it. But first, I mean, the metaphor starts here. Allow me to introduce you to my father and something interesting about him. Mm. Okay? My father is allergic to a number of things and has been for some time. He is, for example, allergic to cut grass, which people are. He is allergic to bananas. They make the roof of his mouth itchy. And the only way he can treat it is by eating toast because it scratches the top of his mouth. This is a human man. (laughs) He's made it to his mid-60s. In a New Yorker short story. That doesn't seem Yeah, surprise. well, my dad would be disgusted to find his name in a New Yorker short story. <laughs> but that's beside the point. The uh, third uh, allergy he has is to walnuts. And it is one, I think, uh, I believe this is true of other nut allergies. It has gotten worse um, as he's gotten older. Mm. You know, maybe as he's had uh, exposure to walnuts, right? Sure. Here's the thing. He does not officially have what I would describe as a carefree nature mm. or devil may care. Yeah. Uh, Take your pick. But what I can tell you is he is vigorously untroubled by his nut allergy to the point where he rarely, if ever, asks if walnuts are in a particular dish. He'll dive right in. Oh, no. And he also does not carry his, what, EpiPen or Benadryl uh, or any sort of thing that would counteract an allergy. And he he is uh, entirely untroubled by it, despite the fact that it could have uh, serious consequences for his health. Now... Do you spot any any metaphor here that could apply to the Colorado Rockies? So it, are we to understand that the Rockies, especially perhaps those in the front office who might be tasked with assembling a team that can hit and score runs, are much like your father and his <laughs> indifference to his nut allergy? Yeah, that's right. Aww, yeah, the Rockies, like have, the Rockies have a, a possibly a fatal flaw. And they seem they seem thoroughly untroubled by its presence. Enthusiastically untroubled, in fact, if one can be enthusiastically untroubled. Yeah. I mean, I was just looking while you were relaying the story about your father to make sure. Yeah, that I know. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah, don't that listen. I, yeah, that, no, I was listening, but oh, I was. I can yeah. do two things at once. So I was checking to make sure that my um, my understandings of sort of the recent uh, state of affairs for the Rockies is accurate, and, and mm-hmm. it is. I mean, they are in the second half, twenty seventh. By by team WRC plus, mm-hmm. although the the Diamondbacks are are not much better, twenty fourth with at uh, uh, ninety one WRC plus. Those Oakland A's, good gravy, number one in baseball, one hundred and twenty three WRC plus. It makes no sense that the mm-hmm. Rockies are this bad at hitting, and it's one of those things where, like, as an exercise in team construction, I actually kind of love it, even if I find myself weirdly angry about it, because I don't, I mean, my my mom's family is from Colorado, and my grandparents are Rockies fans. We just have no winners in the family at all when it comes to <laughs> baseball affiliations, but, um, so, like, I want my grandparents to be happy, generally, um, so in that respect, I guess there's some rationality to it, but I find myself just very angry with them because you're right to say this could kill them. Yeah. I don't want to say it likely will because then we're saying stuff about your dad and the Rockies and I don't feel comfortable doing that. But it could kill them and they don't care. They They don't don't seem to care at all. They had had opportunities to be much better even just easily without giving up a whole heck of a lot as as jeff wrote when uh, the daniel murphy business went down that's true and as uh and as jay jaffe reminded us uh, on multiple occasions during his replacement level killers series yes. many killers uh, of the replacement level variety on that particular team yeah yeah 
really bad. So I don't get it. And it's just, it's an obvious thing. It would be, but so what I was going to say is as sort of a, an exercise in roster construction, there is something weird and delightful about a Rockies team that is being dragged towards some kind of postseason experience by its pitching. I mean, there is something that is delightful and weird in that. And as you and the listeners know, I kind of traffic in that area of baseball. But this feels like a not great version of of that because it would be one thing if like they had amazing hitting and then also, hey, look at this here pitching. But right now it's like, why are you being a bunch of dummies? You're right. entrusted with the hopes and dreams of an entire city and uh, a lot of folks in the region. And you did this. They are, you might say that they are stewards yeah. of the uh, the regional mood. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people in Colorado who, who become quite invested in the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. But it would be nice. I mean, we, we spent time there. That's a lovely ballpark. It's a very pretty ballpark. It's in a fun part of town. Fun part of town. Fun part of town. <laughs> you could just have fun there. Yeah. The Rockies yep. are sixth in pitching war in the second half. Good and for, Good for them. But here's the thing. If you have, for a club that has uh, very obvious weak spots, mm-hmm. th- this is almost an advantage because it creates obvious places for that same club to upgrade. Sure. You know? Yep. And uh, again, they did not appear to respond to these s- suggestions that reality had cultivated for them. And uh, they do not appear to be uh, have <laughs> to have been punished for it at all. No, it it is. Um, I mean, I think that they will end up being punished for it. Surely, it will come back to haunt them in some sort of appreciable and perhaps devastating way once we actually get into the postseason. Should they advance, they're a very odd team. They're a strange little team. I mean, I liked that Blackman extension. I thought that was good and smart. That Ian Desmond deal will remain just one of the worst, weirdest things that a baseball team has done in recent memory. That seems reasonable. And then they're going to have to determine what to do with Nolan Arenado, right? Yeah, what do, what do you do with that guy? What do you do? What are you going to do with him? I mean, not a lot. I don't know him personally. Right. But at some point, they're going to have to make a decision about whether he remains a Rocky or not. Not quite yet, though, right? Isn't he not a free agent for a minute? I think that uh, Arenado's not a free agent until 2020. That is correct. I think that is right. I think he yeah. is ARB eligible. And then uh, then he's going to be a free agent. They'll have to yep. make some choices, but that's a little ways away. Mm-hmm. So there you go. There uh, you go. Try and accuse us of not having addressed the Rockies situation. I think it's important that we target content toward the Rockies fan base because my understanding is that no one ever reads it or engages with it. But unlike a post, this is just in the course of a podcast, so it's not mm-hmm. likely that they're going to say, ah, nope, won't won't listen right. to that. Yep. Carson, do you feel threatened by the interlopers in Whoa. the Fangraphs audio space? Oh, are you talking about <laughs> Eric Longenhagen and Kylan McDaniel? Yeah. No, we do not feel threatened. I mean, I feel Good. threatened by Kylie, but it's not because of the podcast thing. Is it because of the air horn? It's the air horn. There, there's a yeah. There's something going on there. Yeah, general disposition, not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Eric's trustworthy. Mm-hmm. Not Kylie. Don't know about him. <laughs> yeah. So you uh, actually, I think I believe you recently paid a visit to the desert, didn't you? I did. I went yeah. down. Uh, Just a single person 
taking a flight. Yes. And then going I anywhere, the probably having drinks, I bet. Oh, yeah, there were some drinks. Yes, I went down at the end of August, uh, I guess the the weekend before Labor Day, went down and was a guest of the Longenhagen household, uh, got to hang out with Eric and his lovely wife, Jill. And the, the Mariners were playing the Diamondbacks, and I hadn't ever been to Chase Field and kind of wanted to also just head down there and hang out with them because the the great thing about being a baseball writer is that you find a bunch of kind folks who you like a lot who are interested in the same things you are and the bad thing about doing that from your home is that they often live very far away from you yeah uh and being quite fond of eric and jill i was happy to go get to spend a weekend hanging out with my friends so uh yeah so i went down you you didn't uh you might not have slept in but you could have on any given day I did not sleep in. I'm not good at sleeping in. But you could have is the point. I could have. Yeah, it was a very chill sort of mm-hmm. thing. I don't think I slept past like 8.30 on any of the days I was there because I am not a, a good sleep in sort of yeah. person. But um, yeah, it was great. We went to, on the Friday, we went to see the D-backs play the Mariners, which was lovely. The Mariners won. That was fun. But mostly it was just good to go to a baseball game. And then uh, Saturday, I spent... We spent a fair amount of time working, editing several things, and got to do a barbecue with some mutual scouting-type friends who we have down there. And uh, then on Sunday, Eric and I went and watched Mike Leake uh, and Zach Granke, athletic pitcher duel. Oh, right. He had noted athletes. Zach Granke they are noted Mike athletes. Yeah. That No, yeah. it was funny. We were trying to decide if we were going to go to another game and then saw the matchup and, and both said almost simultaneously, athletes. And so then we went. <laughs> Again, it's nice to have friends who <laughs> uh, like the same things that you do. So went and, and watched that game. It was interesting. These gentlemen are anonymous, so I feel comfortable talking about them. We were sitting next to a couple of they looked like 40 to 50-something-year-old men who were clearly having like a bro day. They were having bros. Day with their bros. Mm-hmm. Bros and yeah, bros. And um, I don't know if it was because they were National League fans and then I guess never had watched the postseason or if they were just being purposely dense or if they were just maybe not huge baseball fans. But we were sitting on the first base side and so got to get a pretty good look at now first baseman sometimes Robinson Cano. Mm-hmm. And these gentlemen were and perhaps still are under the impression that Robinson Cano is the best first baseman who's ever played baseball. And I think we all know that that is not true. Uh, he's, he's doing fine. But yeah. like there are some there are some picks where where it should be easy and it is obviously hard, but he's adjusting to a new position. But they're like this Cano gentleman. He sure is great. And we were just trying to understand were they were they making a joke were they new to baseball, perhaps, and just didn't know about Robinson Cano? Were they just, as I said, National League fans, and then they check out when the postseason rolls around if it doesn't involve the Diamondbacks, which, you know, for a lot of their time may have been quite a bit. But they seemed genuinely both impressed and largely ignorant of who Robinson Cano was. And it was interesting because, you know, we spend so much of our time doing this. And Robinson is probably one of those players that even casual baseball observers are familiar with. Well, right? I mean, he also played for the Yankees for some exactly. time. Exactly. Like they he, tend to have some exposure. Yeah. So it, it was interesting to uh, to sit to sit there and listen to them. It was also a, a reminder to me that, um, you know, when you watch baseball, 
uh, predominantly in a city like Seattle, which is uh, a typically progressive place, and then you go someplace like Arizona, which has a, a a different sort of political backdrop that you can hear different things at the park that you might not otherwise hear. Oh. Uh, so that was that was a an interesting bit of bit of business also. Sounds like you were gathering uh, all manner of data. Oh yeah, it was it was quite an experience. I like that ballpark. It does kind of feel like you're watching baseball in a Costco, but like in a charming way, if that makes sense. Sure, one of the great, one of the nice Costcos. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, like one of the nice Costcos. But these these um these gentlemen were very upset when a uh when Hirano, who is, you know, a pitcher for the the Diamondbacks came out with his translator. They were they were bothered by that because why don't you just learn English? And I was like, oh, mm -hmm. oh my, we're doing this about a player on your own team that you root for. You're all wearing Diamondbacks hats. So that was something I hadn't heard in a public setting in a while. So. Yeah, they they invited they invited him to learn English. Yes. Did they have any pedagogical input as to how they they thought that he should try harder? Why doesn't oh. he just try harder? Yeah. Not not like a, they were not like offering to purchase him like Rosetta Stone. No, I don't think that they had uh, much in the way of constructive feedback to offer mm. there. They just uh, were taking advantage of the fact that um, he was far away and could not hear them. I would. Yeah, think. well, that is a good time to Be yell at people because if they're closer to you, a lot of times they hear they hear what you're trying to say. Yeah. And then they can also act upon. They can act. Is yeah. one of the problems, yeah. Yeah. Yes, we all engage in theater, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. How do you think this podcast is going, Carson? Oh, it's fine, it's I guess. It's fine? What do you want? What do you want from me? I don't know. Do you want to, uh, do you want to amplify our implicit study of futility by making it explicit? Sure. Uh, let's talk about... Let's talk about your what you learned from your incomplete study of pictures and blowouts. Oh yeah, yeah. I mostly learned that at its core, baseball is pretty mean. Mm -hmm. Just this, you mean the circumstances it presents are just unavoidably cruel? Yeah, because I don't think that baseball should have a mercy rule. Like mercy rules, I don't know why I don't like that. So I guess I'm endorsing the cruelty that is in, it is present within the sport at any given moment. But you know, as I said in the piece, like the thing about about baseball is that we we make someone pitch. Someone has to pitch, even when people are losing quite badly. And there is some some obvious cruelty in that to the individuals who are losing badly. And then there's also some some more subtle cruelty toward those who have to participate in the game on the winning side but whose presence clearly indicates that like the serious baseballing is done and that the people who do the serious baseballing are no longer required for that for that particular contest. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was having this thought um, or maybe I'm just having it now. Anyway, it's present in my head. I want to say this. So yeah, so you're actually you, you make a good point about about this in football for example and basketball really any game with a clock, right? Mm -hmm. If if you let's 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 consider a team that's losing by a lot, right? Yeah. If a team, if you're if you're on a team that's losing by a lot, you just want to hasten the game. You want to get to the very end as quickly as possible. Right. And in football, for example, there are ways of doing this, mm -hmm. both for the winning and losing team. You yeah. can run the ball, right? Right. Which makes the clock go down. The time does not stop. The game, the end of the game, arrives more quickly. In basketball, 
you can uh you know just dribble out the shot clock mm-hmm. and you can also put in you know your second string players and it's it's very you're very obviously like telegraphing the fact that you've conceded the game you've right. you've conceded it and there's some dignity in that right but in baseball a sport which is often praised for not having a clock one of the dis- one of the <laughs> disadvantages is in blowout games, the well, both the winning and losing team, they still have to fulfill certain events with some degree of competency. Right. Like, I mean, in particular, like the pitcher-batter matchup, like pitchers still need to get outs. Right. And which is why, like, in theory, like, it makes sense to use a position player to pitch during these blowout games. Yes. Because uh, you don't want to uh, risk injury to one of your pitchers. But at the same time, it's like that guy's not very good at pitching. Right. And it um, might take him longer to get outs. Yeah. And in yeah. the meantime, and like everyone, everyone on the field wants that not to happen. Right. At a certain point. Right. The field, the fielder is like, come on, man. And the position here. player is like, I'm a victim of circumstance. <laughs> and then even the batter, like you have to say, it's like, it's a, it's a weird set of incentives for the batter. Right. Because getting a hit off of a position player is no great shakes, but striking out against for example i mean that's the worst striking out against the position player is like actively embarrassing correct so yeah it is a moment where baseball sort of fundamentally breaks and i think position players i didn't write about position players in that piece because well for one thing it was already 2300 words long and i was worried that you would fly to seattle and murder me mm-hmm. and i'd prefer to not be murdered and i've written about this a little bit other places too just you, to hey real we get real big. I'm not going to murder you. Oh, thanks. But, you know, yeah. it's. I know that um, you have a preference on work. Although I thought it was a little aggressive that you sent my dad a whole walnut pie. <laughs> <laughs> too much. Yeah. Too, I raised an eyebrow at that. Too much. Mm-hmm. You know, position players pitching are sort of amazing because... I think there's value in it, not only in terms of like keeping, you know, bullpen arms rusted and not risking injury to, to folks who you're going to need for like meaningful baseball later. And, you know, I think that we've all felt that it's gotten a bit out of hand this year. It's like less special than it used to be because it used to be a relative rarity and now it's happening with increasing frequency. But I think that one sort of underrated part of position players pitching that is great is that it's one of the rare times in baseball where there isn't a bad outcome because like, let's say the guy gets lit up. Well, you don't care about that. You're already losing by a ton and he's doing service, right? Like he is performing community service by pitching when he does not normally do it and certainly does not do it particularly well. And so there's something admirable about that, right? It's like he's wearing one for the team and we like it when people are sort of kind and sacrifice their own dignity on behalf of others. And so that's like not a bad outcome. And if he does well, it's delightful, right? Like I can't believe that so-and-so threw 90 miles an hour. I can't believe he got a strikeout, right? Like you get to sort of enjoy something in a moment that is more broadly speaking very embarrassing for you as a as a player and sort of not fun for you as a fan so like it's it's great but you're right that like it's totally broken because all of the normal incentives of baseball are kind of twisted a little bit at least and so it's a weird thing that we that we revel in it so much because it's like well this isn't in a lot of important ways this isn't baseball really like not the way that we think about baseball and so it's it's a bit 
weird that we get so excited about it, even if it is nice to be able to like kind of take an emotional breather in the middle of an otherwise embarrassing sort of episode. But I didn't say any of that in the piece. And instead, I had some butts and focused on the sadder parts. <laughs> what? Um, yeah, but what about, so I think, that, was it Carlos Gomez who made a pitching appearance recently? Uh, he has made one uh, this year, I believe. Yeah, and I think it I think it went poorly. Uh, like I mean, in the sense probably. that not poorly in the sense that he gave up runs. He did give up runs, but in the sense that he also walked four of the five batters he faced. That is the I think that is the when you think that that's the most evil outcome. Yes. Possible. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he he faced five batters in one third of an inning, and he walked four of the five batters he faced. Yeah, he did. And so. He came to the mound and uh, he just didn't really throw strikes and then he had to leave. And nothing had changed perceptibly about the game except that, I don't know, however much time, you know, had elapsed. Right. And we were all aware. That, that's the one thing that can happen. Right. Um, position players pitching have to throw strikes. Yep. Because it can drag out of an already yeah. embarrassing contest by a lot. Although sometimes... Like that's, I think that if, I think if a position player is going to be bad, they have to be bad in like an unusual way for it to be interesting. Being bad in canter strikes, walk a bunch of guys way, that's not interesting. If you're going to be a bad position player pitching, you should be bad. You should be bad like Scott Kingry was bad. Scott Kingry threw the ball so slowly that StatCast couldn't track the velocity of his pitches. Mm-hmm. Like several of his pitches just didn't register on StatCast because they were thrown so slowly that I think they probably approached the speed at which we would begin to worry that a pitch couldn't reach the mound. Right. right? That it would. What, lo- what did the reading just said? Can't. Uh, uh, can't. I think it just registered incomplete. You know, you know how sometimes if a ball is very low or very high, yeah. StatCast can't track it because it's below the array. I think that there was something similar. Now, I I assume I had heard that he was throwing like 49 miles an hour. I don't know if that was the result of a reading on the day, like perhaps they still had a pitch FX apparatus in place, or if that is the known sort of lower velocity bound. Oh, can I tell an unrelated story very quickly? Yeah. Uh, while while I was watching um, Zach Granke pitch in Arizona, I will say I don't love about that ballpark. There is one, only one place in the entire ballpark that actually registers the velocity of the pitch, and it is a small portion in like the upper corner of a scoreboard. And that I find very frustrating because it is really nice to be able to look around and from any vantage point in the park be able to easily see velocity and then whatever the thing thinks the pitch classification is even though sometimes it's not right yeah but zach granke threw a 69 mile an hour pitch and it actually registered it as an ephus on the scoreboard and i have never seen that before i've never seen a scoreboard actually use that terminology around a a pitch in any way i was delighted by it because normally they will just say like what they actually think the pitch is rather than uh, an ephus which it was sort of borderline not an ephus but anyway that is my Slow curve. curve. Right. Normally, they'll just like put a curveball, right? So, but anyway, 
so I don't know if the reason we we have heard 49 miles an hour is because that is the like known lower bound of whatever Statcast can track or or what. But you should be bad like that. Like if you go back and watch the inning that Kingry threw, and I have a bunch of screenshots from this that I didn't use because I decided not to write that part because it was getting too long. But they they slow mo his pitch as it is coming to the catcher's mitt, and you can see smiling faces sort of pixelated in the back of the slow-mo like some like crazy impressionist painting but their smiles are so wide and big and obvious that even through the pixelation of slow motion you can tell that they're smiling like the people sitting behind home plate were having a blast watching Scott Kingry throw 49 miles an hour so if you are bad in that kind of exceptional way I think that it can be really delightful. But if you are bad in a normal baseball way, like Carlos Gomez was on this day, then it's a drag. Because really what everyone wants to do is go home. And you are impeding their ability to go to the car and feel like they didn't abandon this contest that they paid money for. And so maybe it's also Carlos Gomez, you're probably familiar with, he is a a physical specimen, right? Yeah. Talented uh, five-tool ball player. And um, he's like... um, I don't. I don't imagine that he has very many. Uh, let's see. I guess this is a car metaphor. He has very many gears, right? Um, yes. Sort of has one way of going at the game. So I think he thought it was important to throw hard. Yeah. And so I th- he actually, according to to the data, averaged. He sat at eighty nine miles per hour with his fastball. Wow. But if you're throwing fifty miles per hour, here's the advantage to everyone: is that even if it's not a strike, you're still giving the batter an opportunity to swing. Right. Whereas like eighty nine. Like that's like close enough to what actual pitchers throw for the batter to, I guess, like you just you slow down the reaction time, right? Yeah, and right. so uh, you don't create an opportunity where a hitter could say, mm, "It's out of the strike zone," but I will play along and I will expedite this game, right? Yeah, but you can't do that at eighty-nine miles per hour. No, you need someone. Yeah, you need a. You need someone. You don't. You don't need Carlos Gomez to help uh, to help with that situation. You need someone who's who's prepared to play. Who's <laughs> just, just who's comfortable with the concept of middle management. I think. Yes. You know. Yes. He says, "Yeah, yeah, I know. I just need to get us from point A to point B. I'm not the star here." Which you would think that more players would be comfortable with that on some level, because like. I don't know that this is exactly the same sort of thing, but the Baltimore Orioles are still playing baseball. Mm-hmm. Aren't they all middle managers at this point? At this particular moment in their season, they're all that guy because what they do couldn't matter. It could. Well, I right. mean, so this, the one thing that does matter at this point, like it matters for like Cedric draft, Mullins. Well, and it and it matters for. I mean. Although the Orioles, I think, are very securely in this position. Like, it it can matter for, like, where you pick in the draft. So in that respect, it can matter. But it it doesn't matter. Like, it's, it's very weird. This time of year is the time of year I feel like guys on teams like the Orioles have the most in common with the people who go to see them play. In that they are doing a part of their job that doesn't matter but that they have to do anyway. This is like yeah. filing expense reports. That is their entire baseball existence for the next two weeks. Yeah, but I was, I'm still, can I push back a little bit, Meg? Yeah. Do you mind, do you mind if no. I push back a little bit? 
I think like for the Orioles are actually handling some things kind of well right now in the sense that they're giving plate appearances to Cedric Mullins, yes, an actual prospect center yes. fielder, Bravik Valera, who's uh, the very definition of a fringe prospect. Yes, he has performed ably. Uh, in the high minors, but he has never really been given an opportunity at the major league level. It makes sense to let him play. Yep. And for Bravik Valera, those those plate appearances are very uh, they're very important. DJ Stewart uh, is he was a first round pick, but he has his um, prospect star I think maybe dimmed a little bit this year with his performance at AAA. So he is also now having an opportunity to to work, and I think that what he does probably matters to his future to some degree. And then Corbin Joseph whom the team recently applied, is a player about whom I've been uh, excited for some time. And he also falls in this category of player who's done well in the high minors, and uh, but only made it till age, he made it to age 29 with just seven major league plate appearances to his name. Sure. Um, so he probably says, "Thank you. I would may, like to. Uh, I would like to do my best with this opportunity." May I? May I then propose a friendly amendment to my own statement, <laughs> which is that for those guys, it is deeply meaningful. And I would expect that the individuals, the fans who are going to Orioles games at this point, or I don't know, Royals games, they don't really have any prospects, but you know, they are going in large part because of those bright, young, sparkly folks. But for Andrew Kashner, it's all expense reports. Is that yeah. a fair, is that that's, a fair? That's probably true. Yes. Uh, for various, right. For, for other players, on the squad. It is sort of, this is just, this is the slog. This is the last little bit of, of business. You know, expense reports is a bad way of describing it. It's, it's the last three days before you, you get to go on vacation that you have to go to work and you're already thinking about not being at work and, uh, you're not getting a ton of really productive stuff done, but you got to go because you only have so many vacation days and you have professional obligations, and you are mm -hmm. a pro, and you take pride in that, right? In mm -hmm. in showing up and doing your job, feel good when you've done a, a day's work. But you, in the back of your mind, are like, mm, I get to be in Mexico soon, right? Yeah, yeah. What would you do day after the season ended, or day after your obligations ended? I guess. What would be your? What would you do? I imagine that day is very strange. I would probably try to sleep in and fail. Because mm -hmm. your body clock is sort of its own master and it probably has a routine that it is not, even though your brain is checked out, your body's still doing its thing. Right. I don't know. You probably wander around, right? Disoriented. Is it, do you think that it is too much to say, am I, am I being a little too Meg to say that the person who probably feels the greatest difference in that moment is the catcher? Because they are both upright and do not have a stranger's hand on their back for the first time in months. Well, we don't know what their home lives are like. <laughs> I suppose that's true. <laughs> but for your average, your average middle management sort, I guess we don't know what their home lives are like either. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, let's see. Physical body. I, mean, I assume it's quite different for pitchers too. Right. Because they do a lot of. It's not an activity that would occur accidentally during the day. So right. throwing a ball as hard as you can over and over. And they're sort of used to downtime between doing that. So maybe for them, the, the you know, the moment it really hits you that the, the season is done has a, a, a longer runway for, for them because they probably don't notice it until what would have right. been, you know, for a starter. They don't realize it until the fifth day where they're like, oh, I don't have anything to, I don't have anything to do. Right. right. Yeah, that's um, right. 
Yeah, all the uh, all the yeah. I don't know. So what would you do though? What would you do? You, know, you try and wake up. You wake up. You have coffee. You probably you go abroad. I don't know. I think I would travel a lot more than I do if I had the money that major leaguers do. Yeah. So maybe I'd probably go. I'd probably go somewhere warm and far away. I was going to say so that people don't recognize you, but most major leaguers probably don't get recognized. Like if they go to the beach, you know, if they go to Hawaii and they're hanging out in Maui, people aren't like, oh, it's Andrew Kashner. That probably doesn't happen to him very much. No, he's probably not doing that. He looks very gruff in his uh, roster photo. Where are you from? Maybe he gets, he might get recognized in some parts of Texas. He uh, it looks like he's from there, although he also looks like a lot of people from Texas. And so maybe he is the most anonymous when he goes home. That could be true. I wonder if he still lives there in the off season. Many of us are most anonymous when we're when we're home around our families. <laughs> I wonder if they look at their children and they're like, oh, you look really different. I'm noticing because, now. Yeah. I don't know if I'm if I'm correct in saying that that is an underexplored phenomena about i guess i guess the way that sports lives work but also all i mean many careers is uh not seeing your kids is the participants in those particular sports or whatever and not just the active participants but also front office members and media they're uh, they have kids yeah yeah i'm not going to remember who it was who i saw kind of commenting on this on Twitter the other day, so I apologize, but I saw someone remarking that when they were a little kid, they thought it was really odd that every time they would see relatives who were sort of distant relatives, mm-hmm. that the first thing that that person would say is, oh my gosh, you're so tall now, or you look so different, or you know, you're such a big kid. And now that they're grownups, every time they see a child, they're like, oh my God, <laughs> you were altered fundamentally from the last time I saw you. I have that experience when I see my niece sometimes, and I see her like, I don't know, once a week, a lot of weeks. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all the hair you have now. Look at look at uh, the words you know. You don't you yeah. can't look at that, but like... Uh, you have a third leg. <laughs> Where does that come from? Where did all these hands come from? <laughs> oh no. Have you talked to your parents about this? <laughs> and or a physician? <laughs> Or it's like, you know, it felt like one week she didn't have teeth and then the next week she had all of her teeth. And that isn't mm-hmm. true. It was more gradual than that. Thing. It'd be dark, it'd be really dark if the week after that second week she had no teeth <laughs> no again. No teeth again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like, ah. And it was from paid fighting. <laughs> oh, don't say that about my beautiful niece. Mm. Can I yeah, tell you? Yeah, she's not real to me. That's the problem. Can I tell um, a, st- a funny story about my niece? People are going to be like, Meg. But I have um, to, this is, I think, legitimately amusing. You, are you basically just, is this like a spoken word version of a um, of a YouTube video? No. Well, kind of, but no. It's not nearly as long as all that. So my, my parents, my, my dad and my stepmom recently uh, bought and moved into a new house. And so we've been over, uh, my sister and I have been over there a lot, sort of helping them get settled and also just hanging out at the house because they, you know, want us to hang out there. And on this day, my niece was in her high chair uh, drawing and I walked over to her and I was like, so Willow, what are you drawing? And she said, I'm drawing an A for auntie. And everyone in the room was like, this baby is a genius. She knows how to spell. She's two and a half. And we were very excited. And then literally a second later, she said, and an A for bus. And we realized, oh, well, <laughs> she's still smart, but maybe not a genius. An A for bus. I was like, well, that's not quite right. 
there's not even an A in there. <laughs> she's, a, she's a genius, but she well, Autobus. Oh, so maybe she is actually a genius because she speaks a foreign language, Autobus. Yeah, Autobus. Okay, I'm back to thinking she's a genius. Thank you, Carson. Yeah. Mm, uh, but yeah, it has to be odd as a ball player. I mean, they see their families throughout the season, but it, there is a ton of time away, and it must be weird to come back and be like, oh, you can do this thing that I didn't know you could do. Yeah, I think it gets into a little bit of a sad place because yeah. um, uh, from what little I know, very little I know of child psychology and whatnot, it's important for it's important for children to, to, to their sense of security to spend a lot of time with their parents in their earliest years. Yeah. And then, uh, I don't know, if you're out like, you know, playing baseball and seattle but you actually live in georgia you can't do that so yeah um, so it's just dark basically what i'm trying to get at well and i would imagine the hardest for those with the the sort of fewest resources right so really young players uh minor league guys who probably you know when you're an established major leaguer you probably have a a place that your family lives with you during the season in the city where you play and then you have whatever your ancestral home is you know in Texas or Georgia or California or wherever, and you can maintain two residences because you have the financial resources to do that, but it would be the the greatest burden on those who are sort of on the fringes of the major league roster and maybe just have to have their wives and kids in some apartment somewhere. Yeah. So another argument to have kids till till you're almost too old to have them. <laughs> <laughs> That's the key. You're not you're not uh, as young anymore, so you're even more tired, I would expect. Oh, shut up, Meg. <laughs> you don't know who I am. <laughs> uh, how, how is, well, we don't have to share pictures of your son on the podcast again. That, that maybe didn't play super well, as this is not a visual medium. But how is little Jackie? Jackie? Is that fine. right? Fine. Okay. Yeah, he's fine. He's fine. He's he, alive. Uh, yeah, he's alive. Again, at this age, they're, uh, you know, they do wonderful things. But I, I've been getting to the bottom of this. I'm not sure if I've um, shared this observation with you. I think that, um, as you noted, people often become the very individuals they, you know, against whom they previously protested, right? Yeah. As you note, uh, yes, when I was young, everyone said I was getting so big. And then now I'm older and then I see young people I'm like, you're getting so big. We just do that kind of thing, right? Right. I always, when people have said previously, oh my God, my kid, my child's amazing. Can you believe it? We've been like, you know, there are however many billions of us in the world. Like, it's, not, it's probably not that exceptional. <laughs> I frequently harbor feelings about my child that the things he's doing sometimes are pretty incredible. Other times he's a real numb nuts. But I think the reason is, is because as a... Uh, well, not just as a parent, but as anyone who's close to a, a young child can attest, you're, you are witnessing human development and like uh, you're in the front row for it. You know what I mean? Right. And so what you're marveling at is maybe not necessarily so much this particular child's aptitude, but just like the, the, the process by which a little nugget of a thing, just a blob. I mean, that's, you know, when our son was born, he was infinitely useless and now he's, you know, Less useless. Less useless, right. Yeah. He can do things. He can crawl around rapidly, and he can sand himself up on furniture. And I remember a time when we had to stop putting cloth diapers on him because he could... Uh, he was in a period where he definitely should have been rolling over. Mm -hmm. But, like, the cloth diapers were too... 
were too bulky and he was too lazy. Uh. So once he was on his back in the cloth diapers, he was, you know, he's like a turtle. Or he's like, like a yeah, beetle. I live here now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so he was just, uh, that, that was his entire experience of the world. And he just, and uh, also he hated being on his stomach. So if you put him on his stomach, then he quickly learned how to roll over to his back. Mm. So I remember that when he would avoid all labor whatsoever. I respected him at that point, but yeah. I had also thought this can't last. No, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to stand up at some point. Yep, walk yeah. around. Walk around. Go get a job. Soon, buddy. <laughs> Soon. Those cloth diapers don't buy themselves. I had a. Uh, I had some thoughts about which I'm not very proud regarding child labor recently, and uh, maybe maybe some of its virtues. Mm-hmm. Now listen, it's the dangerous stuff. No mining, no. Sure. Right. No. But like a newsie, what's so bad about a newsie? I mean, there's been delightful Disney movies made about them, and an even better Broadway musical. Sure. So yeah, kids out there selling papers. I mean, these kids—they looked like they were very capable by, by six years old. You realize that that entire play movie is about them unionizing <laughs> because of their horrible conditions, right? Oh, they did, huh? Yeah. Well, see, look at... I mean, most six-year-olds don't have the wherewithal to talk to think about unionizing. I mean, in fairness, the older kids are the ones who sort of came up with the idea. The oh, shut kids. up. It's a drama. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you could have made it to five-year-old and, you know, you're in the theater. Yeah. You're, uh, you're filled with wonder. You say, yeah, sure. I bet it was a five-year-old. Yeah. Uh, he probably knows that A is for auntie. Yeah. By five, and, he better. And also for, and also for bus. Autobus. Autobus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's also for autobus. <laughs> Auntie. Auntie. Does this cousin have a, like some sort of speech impediment? Does my because... niece have a speech impediment? Yeah, your niece because because I would why didn't she say Auntie? Because Which is she's the correct two way to and a half, it. and because she's but from... Auntie. No, we're from Seattle. We're we're chill about stuff. <laughs> Auntie, my God, this isn't <laughs> Downton Abbey. <laughs> I've been rewatching Downton Abbey and I worry that I shouldn't like it as much as I do because the aristocracy is not great, but also I like that show a lot. Well, <sighs> wealthier people are always going to be more useful as like literary devices because their their resources allow them to do things. And be they have, idle. they have they have like infinite resources and free time. Where it's like That's if what true. do you do? You you're going to write a story about like some some like uh, bohemian or you know like Czech immigrant in the in Pittsburgh who just wakes up at four in the morning, goes to a mill and then comes back at, at eleven o'clock at night yeah. and has cabbage for dinner and and then goes back in the morning. That's not very fun. Wow. No. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, you look at like a like a story like Madame Bovary. Get a whole novel of a woman who does nothing except well. look at her look at her window and think about you know what could be as opposed to what is. I mean, in fairness to her, she didn't do nothing. She died of consumption. <laughs> Madame Bovary had a full life. Didn't what did she do? Did Not you... only did she die of consumption, but she she contracted it before that. <laughs> do you agree or disagree with the following statement, which is that an important developmental milestone in any child's life is when they realize that dying of consumption does not mean that you overate to the point that you died. <laughs> I, I'm I'm just starting to realize that now because. Because it was a whole moment in my life when I was like, oh, this was a disease. They didn't just have too many snacks. I was very <laughs> confused. Oh, Meg, I had a reason to, to dislike you without your presence recently. Oh, what's that? You, you, you know, uh, we are frequently the victim of our own minds, right? Yeah. Recently, in my own mind, <laughs> 
my own mind caused me to to reverse engineer a pun. Oh no. I'm yeah. sorry. That is my fault. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I the, the, this is what occurred in my head was was this phrasing exactly. R2 me too. <laughs> and I thought what would be a women's empowerment movement that would take place in the Star Wars universe? <laughs> it would be called R2 me too. And I said and then after I thought of that, all of that, I said F- Meg. <laughs> Yes, like she's in my head. Uh, that does sit at a cross section of many of my interests. Yeah, does it? Do you take personal responsibility for that? <laughs> I really do, and I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, that I've was done... an invasive. That was that was an unwanted thought. I mean, I think that my my positive legacy on Fangraphs, whenever mm-hmm. I move on, which hopefully will not be for many many years, although if I keep bothering you like this, might be sooner than I mm-hmm. hope. Yeah. Uh, will be that I got a bunch of kind but nerdy men to really enjoy rosé and its frozen form, frosé. And that my the thing that we will try to expunge from the record will be the puns. Although I will point out that I have not done any headline puns, not even knowing that you will change them. Mm -hmm. And so, and so maybe it's actually uh, Jay Jaffe's fault because he sometimes does do those. Yeah, he does. He sure does. Yeah, and um, there have been a couple moments where if there are sort of multiple pieces to edit in a short period of time, or this is the, uh, you know, three days to vacation. Yes. Adam Jones playing for the Orioles type of situation. <laughs> uh, where, I'm, where where Jay submits a post with a pun, and I'm just like, fine. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. It's the, you know, it's the child asking for an hour and a half in the back of the car you know, if if he can if he can play with the tablet, mm-hmm. and you, and you know, you could be your good good parent for an hour and a half, right? But then you're like, oh my god, there's nothing. Then you just go. Eh, f- <laughs> <laughs> I need to be able to drive for 20 more minutes. Yeah. To yeah. get where I'm going. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't it's been a, a parent, but. I have been an editor who has changed the same stylistic mistakes in uh, like multiple pieces by the same writer and they don't mm-hmm. notice or say thank you. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, I feel like I have been a parent. Basically the same thing. Right? Isn't that a lot of what yeah. parenting is? Just not being thanked for kindnesses that you do to, uh, you know, avoid embarrassment or death on the part of your children. Yeah, I think avoiding embarrassment. Yeah, that's true. On death. Yeah. There's a lot of things that um, children do that uh, put them in harm's way. Yeah, they they um, have a shocking lack of sense for sort of self-preservation. Mm-hmm. And, and, like, it's very odd when you consider how easily afraid of things they are and what dumb things they're sometimes afraid of. You mm-hmm. know, it'll be like, oh, I'm afraid of this uh, bus. And it's like, well, you're standing over here. It can't get you. It's right. fine. But yeah. then you'll just run into the road, and it's like, well, okay, now you should be afraid of the bus, but you aren't because right. you're you're a, a little kid, and you're kind of dumb. I mean, you'll get better. You're not dumb for a kid, but you're dumb compared to adults. Thank you for not letting me call a strange child stupid in a post recently. <laughs> there you go. We're all yeah. giving each other gifts every day. Yeah. Meg Rowley, I have an announcement to make is that you have fulfilled your obligation to Fangraphs Audio. Oh, terrific. Yeah. So I want to thank you for that. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good, good stuff. Good yeah. audio content. It was fine. It was fine. Enough <laughs> audio content. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go edit some posts. 
great. I'm gonna go uh, watch a couple home runs for a very specific thing. Ooh. Perhaps some foreshadowing. Yeah. All right. All right. I will say this. I will say that is uh, editor of the Hardball Times, Meg Rally. Uh, oh, yeah. I'll say this, too. I'll say thank you. Mm-hmm. Editor of the Hardball Times, Meg Rally. I'm Carson Stooley, and this has been Vanguard Audio.